Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we review the arrangements in Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 16, which begins with Max setting eyes on the tanker filled with precious fuel, and it ends with the gyro captain chained to a piece of wood. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. So we pick up this week where we left off last week with Max looking through the binoculars, and he shifts his focus from the tower that he was looking at down to the tanker where they're storing all of the fuel. And as Max is looking at it, the gyro captain is in his ear saying, that's where they keep it, thousands of gallons, as much as you want. And I feel like the gyro captain is spending a lot of time emphasizing how much fuel they have and that it could all be Max's, when I really think that Max isn't out for thousands of gallons. I think he just wants to top off his tanks. Yeah, I'm wondering what the gyro captain is envisioning Max's future. Because in the current location of thousands of gallons of fuel, it's taking 30 people in a compound to keep this stuff safe. Right. What's Max supposed to do with it? First of all, how is he supposed to take more than a couple of gas cans full? You know, it's it's the same problem that the compound has. They can't move it either. Exactly. I feel like the gyro captain is spending so much time selling the massive quantity that he forgets that Max isn't looking, and this is kind of drawing a parallel between gasoline and cash money. He's selling, oh, look, they have these millions and millions of dollar bills. And Max is like, well, I don't need to carry that much i just need to fill my tank so i can keep going right and i know it's just talk i know that the gyro captain is just trying to sell it and make it sound amazing but at the same time i feel like he's not selling it effectively i feel like he's missing the tree for the forest kind of the opposite yeah he's not selling to his audience right i think he's Trying to make it sound like all Max has to do is be clever enough to, like, steal the gas that he needs. And it's like, I feel there's got to be some sort of barter that he can do. I mean, sometime, I want to say it's next week. Let me check real quick. Yeah, I think it's early next week. Max sees an opportunity to bargain for the gasoline. Yeah, and that's... We're being shown that attacking the compound isn't effective right and we'll see over the next few minutes there's this continuous fighting over time that ends up being fruitless so attacking the compound isn't going to work so why not bargain for it and as soon as you said the word bargain it occurred to me the gyro captain has a gyrocopter yeah like that is an asset go offer your services of whatever kind to them in exchange for fuel yeah i feel like, like the uh, character yeah. of the gyro captain he's too stuck in his ways being a roguish character and thinking that anything he wants can just be obtained by guile like he doesn't think oh well i can just do a barter trade system because he's so stuck in his ways that he needs to be crafty and he needs to be shifty about it i suppose those are lessons he probably learned from living out in the wasteland that you have to be crafty and you have to be shifty yeah everybody but at the same time coping yeah at the same time we have basic society like reforming here mm-hmm. and 
basic society came up with bartering very quickly. Yeah. We see down the road, once we get to Thunderdome, we don't necessarily have to go beyond Thunderdome necessarily, but when Max gets to Thunderdome, <laughs> Barter Town is built. Its entire economy is built on trading things back and forth, deals and services and whatnot. And I mean, granted, we have to like wait for society or the dredges of society to get to that point. But I mean... We kind of start to see that in this movie, the idea of people making deals and exchanging things. And it just, I don't know why the gyro captain doesn't think of that. He spent four days up on top of a hill watching and planning and scheming. And he didn't even think to like walk up to the gate and say, hey, I've got a gyrocopter. I could fly you out of here. Yeah. If, you know, for whatever reason they might want to, it's a unique vehicle in this world. Mm. They can do something that nothing else can. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at him and say, oh, well, he was probably afraid of getting shot. And it's like, well, everyone's afraid of getting shot. But we're going to see, like I said, next week, Max is able to approach this compound. It might actually be the week after. I can't tell. I, I write a lot of notes and there's a lot of things <laughs> that I try and plan ahead for. But... The people within the compound can be reasonable, and all this time the gyro captain never thought to approach them at all. It, it's it's disappointing. <laughs> you know, back when we first met the gyro captain, he said, "I've got the brains," and like almost from that moment, he's been proving to us that he doesn't have the brains. Yeah, well, he's he did like one or two clever things. I would say he's probably got like more book smarts, where Max is more street smarts. Yes. Intelligence as a result of, you know, life experience as opposed to intelligence based on like reading. Like the gyro captain is able to train snakes. That's a very smart thing because yes. he knows a lot about a snake. But at the same time, if he's not great with people, you know, that's another form of intelligence that he just isn't demonstrating in the interactions that we've seen him do. So I feel like there's some growing that the gyro captain can do over the course of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of interpersonal communication, the next shot that we get is the gyro captain leaning into Max as he's looking through his binoculars, and he's kind of got this funky reverse grip on his binoculars because he's probably tired of holding them the normal way. But the gyro captain goes on to say, if anyone's going to get in there, it's going to be you, me, I'm going to feed the snakes. A man lives by his word, I reckon, and I've kept mine, eh? And he's holding up his shackles, being like, hey, you know what? I've shown you the compound. Mm -hmm. Let me go, maybe? Yes? Yeah. I think him saying these things, these few lines, is fair and reasonable. And Max takes absolutely no notice of him. <laughs> and I noticed that Max is really, really good at this. Just staying stoic. Mm-hmm. And not reacting to things. He doesn't react to the captain until he indicates that he wants to be released. He holds his shackles up to Max. Then Max kind of turns and looks at him and like takes him in and considers him. Mm -hmm. And he promptly grabs him by the shackles and drags him away. Yeah, that seems to be a thing that Max likes to do. Grab people by chains and shackles that are attached to their limbs and start dragging them. He yes. did it with Johnny the boy at the end of the first movie. He's doing it again with the gyro captain here. And I, f I find it funny that that's just one of the things that Max does, no matter where he is. That's just one of the things he does. If yeah. someone's shackled nearby, he's going to grab that chain and start pulling him along. <laughs> it's a particularly painful thing to do. Yeah, Not it's... only are you being dragged, but you've also got the pressure on your wrists or ankles, yeah. whatever it may be, uh, of your entire body weight. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to add insult to injury mm-hmm. or vice versa. Which he loves to do. <laughs> I, I know we were talking about Max the other day and the idea of do you believe he would actually straight up kill the, the gyro captain in that clearing? And it's like every instinct I had was saying, no, he's our hero. But at the same time, he's he's been tainted by the wasteland. Mm-hmm. He's got that ruthless edge to him where when you really look at him, I don't think he would have hesitated to to kill the gyro captain and just be done with him to reduce the amount of unknown aspects in his life. Yes. And so the fact that he stands up, drags the gyro captain over to that dead tree branch limb thing and chains mm. him down there, you know, I'm not surprised because the gyro captain, he doesn't trust him. He just met him the day before. He's still a wild card yes. in Max's book. And you don't want a wild card anywhere near you because they could turn on you like that. That was a bad snap. Like, they could turn on you like that. Much better. (laughs) Along those same lines of we don't really know what Max is, how far Max is willing to go. And in relation to the dragging people by the chains, by the shackles, when we saw him do it to Johnny the boy, he wanted to inflict pain. He was highly motivated to inflict as much torture emotionally, physically, however he possibly could onto Johnny the boy. He does not have that motivation here. No. He's doing it for funsies. There's no reason to drag the gyro captain by the chains. He's just doing it because... Because... I hesitate to agree and say that he's doing it for fun. Okay. I see it as him doing it because he doesn't want to remove the shackles. Like, he wants to keep the gyro captain in a state of... Captivity. Captivity so that the gyro captain can't stab him in the back. Yes. He could have grabbed the gyro captain, like, by the arm. He didn't have to grab him by the chains. Yeah, but the chains were, like, right there in front of his face. And so he just reached out and grabbed him. So it was a convenience. Exactly. Like, oh this part of you is right in front of my face this is what i'm gonna grab and he probably had a little bit of a chuckle as he grabbed or as they were walking over to that tree just you know pulling. yeah yeah throughout the rest of this minute you really get the sense that max is holding a serious grudge you don't get away with just pointing a crossbow at max like he's not gonna forget that when your only interactions are holding someone at arrow point and then like being all shifty suggestive like that doesn't necessarily build trust in my book (laughs) no no it certainly doesn't it just seems relatively minor Mm -hmm. compared to the other things that max has killed and tortured for yeah but we gotta remember this is a different max this is this is wasteland max this is a hardened max one not exactly the same guy that we grew to love in the first movie. Right, right. So, yeah, he, he holds a grudge. Mm-hmm. Going back on the snake idea, though, when the gyro captain says, me, I'm going to go feed the snakes, mm. it makes me kind of wonder how many snakes he owns. It, it did kind of sound like there's a multitude of snakes. Because we know that he has the one that was hanging out on the mast of the gyrocopter. Mm-hmm. He's got that one. There's another snake that he drops out of a bag when he's like flying around later in the movie. He kind of pulls a snake out of a bag and he drops it on one of the marauders. So, I mean, there's at least two. The one that he leaves behind on the gyrocopter g- gets killed by someone trying to steal the gyrocopter, which is its own thing. But I imagine he's got multiples. Like, he goes 
goes around and he finds them and he like and he trains trains them. them and really when it comes to the wasteland snakes are probably a good pet to have because they only have to eat like once or twice a week right and at that it's just vermin so if you set up a small trap you could probably catch enough food to feed them pretty easily wouldn't they i mean i guess domesticated snakes wouldn't so much go out and hunt their own prey but i mean if these are snakes from the wild wouldn't they hunt their own prey well you can let them out to hunt, but there's no guarantee they're going to come back. Very true. They're not like border collies where you could whistle for them and right. they come slithering back. Right. I think you can... That's, that's not what trained snakes means. <laughs> you can train them enough that they won't attack you. Yeah. You can get them comfortable enough that you can handle them. Right, but doesn't mean they're not going to run away given the chance. Right. Very true. Okay. Yeah, the whole idea of him having a cadre of snakes stowed somewhere, it kind of makes me a little worried that they were just left behind. But, like I said, they only have to eat once or twice a week, and he's not gone that long. No. That kind of makes me wonder if he has... A home. Like where, a base or, or something? Yeah, base of operations where he keeps his snakes. No, I imagine they, they travel are in a basket or in a bag or something. Attached to the yeah. gyrocopter. Exactly. That's what I think, at least. Okay. I like to think that, that he's nomadic because... As hey, if you don't stay mobile, right, you're bad gonna things die. happen. Because he has such a great capacity for travel with the gyrocopter if anybody could like build a homestead i think it would be him mm -hmm. like have a home base somewhere that he yeah can... that he can get to quickly yeah more quickly than a vehicle yeah i can imagine the gyrocopter finding like a a tall plateau or maybe like yeah an something air... out of reach like an abandoned airstrip somewhere yeah that seems really handy. I love the idea of the gyrocopter. <laughs> it just, it's so cool. And I think it's such a great vehicle for this environment mm -hmm. and these circumstances. I just love it. Yeah. The more I think about the gyrocopter, the more I'm a little bummed out that they don't have any flying vehicles in Fury Road. But I can only imagine how insane a flying vehicle in Fury Road would look. Yeah. With like a flamethrower off the front of it that would be the least of the additions they would do they'd probably yeah, right? add way more than that <laughs> so max as we said chains the gyro captain to a nearby log a large piece of wood i don't know exactly what part of the tree it is right but the gyro captain says look we had a deal i show you the gas and you let me go right and max fires back with the arrangement was i wouldn't kill you <laughs> And the gyro captain says, after all I've done for you, and Max pulls him in close and he says, I reckon you got a bargain, don't you? And the idea of this arrangement stuck in my craw a little bit because it's clear that each of these men are operating under a different assumption about exactly what they agreed to as Max took the gyro captain captive and then drove him out to the compound. And in an effort to go back and like really examine this, I pulled the dialogue from that scene. And so picking up where Max is on top of the gyro captain, pointing a knife at the gyro captain, we start off, gyro captain says, thousands of gallons of as much as you want max says where, no, no. where? Uh, 20 miles from here permanent they are refining a huge tank of full max says crap no 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 no, no. it's true it's true it's true it's not self-service no no it's too hard for me but a man of your ingenuity where 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 kill me and you'll never find out and that's it. There's no more dialogue after that. They don't hash out an agreement right, where Max is going to let the gyro captain go. Right. There basically is no deal. Yeah. 
It's just but, a bunch of assumptions between the two of them. But if you want to suss out a deal from that dialogue, Max is right. The The gyro captain says, I'll show you if you don't kill me, basically. Right. And I, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, I don't think this whole situation would necessarily hold up in a court of law. <laughs> no. As far as unspoken agreements, it's pretty shaky. But at the same time, I agree with you. I think Max is in the right here that he doesn't necessarily have to let the gyro captain go. He just has to not kill him (laughs) in order to remain honorable. Right. And I don't think Max really cares about remaining honorable. No, I I, think So even if the agreement, as it were, were worded more towards the let me go direction, uh, Max probably would have acted the same way. Yeah, I don't think Max is concerned with honor. I think he's concerned with survival. Mm -hmm. And if holding on to the gyro captain this way prevents the gyro captain from, you know, sneaking off for a bit, coming back with a rock and bashing Max's head in to steal the interceptor. Absolutely. Like that's a very real possibility in Max's head because he can't trust anybody nope max is a loner and it's just him and the dog the dog is the only other person that he can really trust in this point absolutely so it makes complete sense to me that he would hold on to this guy this very squirrely eccentric character who (laughs) you know just seems a couple apples short of a bushel yeah a little bit (laughs) one fun fact about this move that max does and i'm referring to him cutting off the gyro captain grabbing him by the collar and pulling him close. We discussed when we introduced Bruce Spence that he was six foot seven. How tall would you guess Mel Gibson is? 5'11". Very close. He's five foot nine and a half inches. What? Or 176.5 centimeters. I knew that he like wasn't the classic kind of tall. Mm -hmm. That he was, you know, for, for a Hollywood leading man, he was on the short side. Right. He's three inches taller than Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah. And I think he's also right around the same height as Sylvester Stallone. That's right. He's not particularly tall either. It's just weird to think that Mel Gibson is like three inches shorter than I am. I was going to ask you if how, if it's weird to be taller than a leading man. It is kind of strange to think that. That if yeah. I met Mel Gibson, I he would just be, like, I would be able to see the top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. It's strange to think. But despite his small stature compared to Bruce Spence, who's like literally 10 inches taller than him, mm-hmm. he's able to pull him down real close and he's no less intimidating. No. I love the close-up shot of this with their faces so close together and so perfectly lined up. Love this shot, but I also would have loved a shot pulled back so we could see their bodies of Max standing up straight and intimidating and Bruce Spence like crouched down and pulled down with all his lanky limbs like sticking out at odd angles. Yeah. I would have loved that visual as well. Yeah, we don't really get a good sense of just how much taller Bruce Spence is than Mel Gibson because he always seems to be like partially crouched. (laughs) Yes, he's always, he's very limmy. Yeah. Like his limbs are always doing weird things and we see a little bit more of that in the coming minutes, which is delightful. I wish I'd seen that. So after Max says, I reckon you got a bargain, don't you? He kind of lets go of the gyro captain and 
turns around and starts walking back to the ridge and the gyro captain just kind of sinks down to the ground and we get this profile shot of him and he's taking up like half the screen and then in the other half of the screen max is off over by the edge of the ridge Mm -hmm. and he's continuing to watch the thing and it's such like a sad shot it is so sad and And the way that that the gyro captain is hunched over yeah in the way that like tall people do where he's got to be losing like six inches of height just by how hunched over he is yeah he looks cowed and just pulled down and made smaller by max and you kind of feel bad for him because yeah he's locked up to a tree he's like 20 miles away from his gyrocopter he's got no discernible way back yeah his snakes are on their own Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how long he's going to be in captivity. Yeah. His, his his snakes, which he seems to have affection for, are defenseless. Yeah. This is what happens when you, A, don't define the terms of deals <laughs> when you make them. But it's also kind of like what happens when you trust a stranger in the wasteland is you can find yourself in situations like this. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting Bruce Spence is kind of our secondary protagonist Mm -hmm. because we do see things from his perspective a lot. Like Max could care less if he's feeling depressed or sad about his situation. Right. You know, Max is only concerned with keeping an eye on the compound and looking for an opening. Yeah. Like he really could care less about the gyro captain's comfort. So this same shot where the gyro captain is hunched over and we get this great profile of him. We also get the the entire shot is just breathtakingly amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the composition is just so beautiful. You've got the captain taking up quite a bit of the screen in perfect profile. You've got the horizon in the background. You can see kind of over the cliff to some vehicles kind of going back and forth with their big dust trails Mm -hmm. and then max in like the middle ground it's just a beautifully composed shot yeah i love the visual in the distance of the dust cloud rising yes because there are just some of these shots where they're facing in the right direction that you get reminded that there is an entire motorized horde terrorizing people in the distance yeah there in the background there's this big event going on yeah that we are not part of yet we are still focused on this little small event right that we stay focused on for a while yeah and, and it is a while like we're gonna go for quite yeah. a bit before we meet anybody in the compound yeah. proper and i really, really i like this setup it gives us time to get to know max and see his dynamic with the gyro captain and how things how how he has things arranged and kind of get a sense maybe of what his plan is and how he operates. Mm. It's not until week six that we actually go in the compound that we actually get into the compound. Oh, wow. Yeah, I we think really do spend quite a bit of time up on this ledge. I think it's either minute 25 or 26. All right. It might be minute 26, the beginning of week six, where we actually get to go inside the compound. I don't have comprehensive notes up that far just yet. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even watched that far yet. Yeah. So. You've got to pace yourself yeah, when you're definitely. doing this. You don't want to burn out too quick or too fast. Nope. So we get a fade to black as the gyro captain is slumped down here. And this is actually the first of, I think, three this week that we get where the minute fades to black. And for almost like a full second, like a full 160th of a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
like a full second is just devoted to this black screen denoting that time is passing i like how simple that is we're showing that time is passing within that day without having like a little title pop up saying like half an hour later it's just a nice simple way to point out that you know they're still here it's still roughly the same day it's just now this is something else interesting that we're looking at right it's it's good filmography right it's one of those one of those examples of a sophomore effort being better than the freshman effort yes yeah yes i think so yeah and when we fade back in from that black screen we only get the tiniest little snippet of what's coming next so we can save that for tomorrow just Mm -hmm. pick up where we leave off The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. All right, thank you for joining us for minute 16 of the road warrior we'll see you tomorrow